It's more than a wingman. Now, there are several aspects of Christianity that are, that are hard to understand and accept by people who don't know or haven't fully accepted Christ. And I'm not just talking about you know, the miraculous works, the walking on water, because you can look at that and go, mm -hmm, okay. Um, or the metaphorical message of the parables, because even though sometimes you can miss the in-depth message of what's such a big deal about uh, a, you know, a mustard seed or, or helping the, Samar the, the Samaritan helping the man on the side of the road, but certainly we can recognize the doubt of a person that, that questions the existence of a God. If they don't necessarily believe that there's a God um, and that all things are possible, then it's hard for them to conceive that the impossible is possible, not just in the miracles, uh, but they're kind of limited by what they think they can do themselves and think there must not be anything else that can be done. And that can be as basic as forgiving someone else, you know, because if you can't grasp some of the concepts of grace and love, and, and these are tough, um, then it's really hard. But even one of the core concepts of our faith and hope that we have, like grace, it's hard to understand and accept fully. And it can be truly a struggle for anyone to accept, and even us sometimes, that we can never do enough good to earn our way into heaven. Because it seems like if I could just try harder or if I knew this checklist item, how do I get into heaven? And everybody wants to know, what do I have to do? What's my purpose? You know, um, but if we were totally honest, we would admit that in all but our very lowest or in all but our very best days, we too find it hard not to try harder or to earn more or uh, to do something to earn the favor of God. We know better, but sometimes like, ah, I better just do this. and Maybe God will notice that today I did something a little nicer. But scripture tells us that it's not by our works, but it's by grace that we have been saved. Grace is this unearned gift, unearned gift. And the gift of grace allows a perfect God to associate with us who are, well, imperfect. And he can do this without lowering his standards because we've got this bridge, this reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And he did this by sending his son who lived a blameless life and then he lost it. Okay, was it? He gave it up, it was taken from him for the sake of our salvation. And now Jesus resides at his Father's side and is still very much working in our lives on God's behalf and he's also working on ours. And we generally understand the importance of what Jesus accomplished, but we still need to study and we still need to apply what we learn from him and about him. And as we do that, we'll continue to grow in our faith and mature in our faith. Because some of the things we struggle with today if we heard the same message a year ago, it wouldn't have mattered because we, you know, I was in a good place. I wasn't really worried about what was going to happen with my job or my relationship. Um, but these are all lessons, and we learn. We, we learn how to apply them in the different aspects of our lives. And Jesus certainly accomplished a lot in his short time on earth, and he continues to work for us still today. But he knew there was more to be done when it was time for him to leave. So let's look at the scene surrounding this week's scripture. Remember, for the past few weeks, our teaching time on Sundays has followed Christ on the last few days of his life. So to set the stage for today, we find ourselves back at the table where Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and he'd broken the bread and poured wine in the cup. And he used both the symbolism for loving others through serving them. And as we remember with reverence this during our time of communion, we talked about this new covenant between us and God. This new covenant would be sealed when Jesus' body would literally be broken on the cross and his blood poured out. And it was during this last supper that we found Peter asking the question, where are you going? 
He says, I'm ready to go and I want to go with you now. And this was a particularly powerful interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And I want to re encourage you to revisit those messages, especially as we get closer to Resurrection Sunday. The last couple weeks in particular, we've talked about the if-then promises of God and choosing this, not that, and, and the heart-led hands to serve. But in Scripture, John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will do as I command. And then I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. The Spirit will show you what is true. The people of this world cannot accept the Spirit because they don't see or know him. But you know the Spirit who is with you and will keep on living in you. So let me unpack that scripture for you just a little bit. He starts with one of the if-then promises we talked about. He says, if you love me, and he's saying as demonstrated by being obedient to this commandment, if you love me, then I will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. Now the word help here comes from the Greek word, which means to comfort or encourage or defend. And these are certainly ways that we need help. Comfort in times of affliction. Encouragement in times of struggle and worry. And defense when we feel that there's just too much for us to handle alone. And if we step ahead in the same book to verses 25 and 26... Jesus continues, he says, I have told you these things while I am still with you, but the Holy Spirit will come and help you. Again, he's going to come, he's going to comfort, encourage, and defend. And he says, because the Father will send the Spirit to take my place. The Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of what I said while I was with you. See, Jesus now knew why he was here and what was about to happen and why it must happen. John 13 describes it this way. It says it was just before Passover, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave, his, leave this world and to return to the Father. He had always loved his followers in this world, and he loved them to the very end. Even before the evening meal started, the devil had made Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, be, decide to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that he had come from God and would, be, would go back to God. He also knew that the Father had given him complete power. Now how troubling this must have been. He had invested his whole life in every aspect of, his, of it to his father's teaching, speaking of Jesus. And he has equipped these 12 men to work with him to carry forward this message. Okay? And this was an ongoing ministry for him. And now he knows that one of these men has betrayed him. And he would soon be arrested and his life would be taken from him. He knew this. And actually, we knew that this was not necessarily true, at least the feeling part of it, about his anger and frustration. Let's see how he handled it. So we're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is as they come into town. And Matthew 26, 39 says, Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. He says, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now what a mature prayer. We talked about these risky prayers, these ones that we need to pray because we need something big to happen. But it's risky because we may have to go through some stuff to learn the lesson that God wants us to learn. God, help me be a better person, Ooh, a more patient person. You know, help me to understand the plight of those in need. These are risky prayers. They're wonderful prayers. But you're asking for God to teach you a lesson that may not be as fun and pleasurable as you want it to be for yourself. But what a mature prayer. God, Father, take this from me. Keep this bad thing from happening to me. But if it is what you need to happen for your good purposes, okay. I trust you. I trust you. And that's what he's saying. 
Take this from me if it's, if it's possible, but not as I will, not what I want, but what you want. That's what needs to happen here. You see, God does not promise that there won't be tough times, sorrow, even sacrifices, but he does promise to be with us through them and to use them for his good purposes when we rely on him. So now Jesus is surrounded by his disciples, aware that his time with them is almost over, but he also knows that his father will not abandon them or their work for the kingdom. And Jesus says, I will send a helper. I will ask him to send a helper. And this can be a concept that's hard to grasp. 1 Corinthians 2.14 explains it this way. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to them. They don't understand them. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Well, what does that mean, spiritually discerned? Have you ever tried to explain something so incredible or so beautiful or even so funny and you just can't explain it very well with your words and you finally say, you just had to be there. You just had to be there. I say that every Sunday when I run these jokes by Sherry. And she's like, that. they laughed at that Adam and Eve rib thing. And I said, you had to be there. <laughs> I know, I've got it documented here that you guys do laugh. But there are aspects of our faith that one would have trouble understanding until they are actually there. I wish no misfortune ill on anyone here. In fact, I pray every day, regularly for all of you. But for those who have, uh, like uh, myself, who have faced a major challenge and had the faith, and had the faith challenged as a result of that, you have a better understanding of what the Bible tells us about holding on to your hope, about relying on God, about knowing that he will see you through it, he will get you through it. And at some point, you've accepted Jesus into your heart, or maybe that's still something you're working towards. But once you do, you will understand so much more about his teaching and what it means to love and accept and forgive, even though we certainly haven't mastered these yet ourselves. So it may be a truth that just beyond understanding, uh, it may be a truth that is just beyond understanding for some to accept that God exists in three parts. Okay, that's one of those things that may be beyond some people. There's not three gods, rather three, I'll call them embodiments of the one God. Flip that slide. It's a churchy word we call the Trinity. God exists in three parts. Okay? It's not a super secret mystery, but we do tend to shy away from explaining it, possibly because few of us have the confidence or perhaps the understanding to explain the third part of the Trinity, and that's the Holy Spirit. See, God exists in three parts, but as a single God. But think of him as different personas. There's God the Father, okay? And they're all part of God. There's God the Father, and God is also the Son, which is the physical embodiment. He became man. And then there's God the Holy Spirit. And the Son and the Father are not the same, and the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, but they are all a part of God. And we're going to take a few minutes to look at what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit and its role in the world in our lives today. So when Jesus left the world and ascended to heaven to be our advocate with God the Father, there was still an enormous amount of work to be done on earth, work that still remains to be done today. And we as Christians and as a church, we work diligently to carry on the teachings and to apply them. But the Holy Spirit did not come to replace Jesus. It came to fulfill a different role, a promise, but with the same end goal as working in tandem with the other two, God the Father and God the Son. Where we say Jesus lives in our hearts, the Spirit lives in our souls. And I title this message more than a wingman because I wanted to dispel this notion that Jesus had a backup. 
He didn't, the Holy Spirit wasn't Jesus' wingman, and, and when something happened to Jesus, the wingman's going to swoop in here. See, the, the Holy Spirit was actually around first. Scripture tells us that it was the Spirit that visited the Virgin Mary and gave her the child to bear that is Jesus. Scripture also tells us the Holy Spirit was present at creation. Genesis 1, verse, uh, Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, so the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And later in Genesis, it reads, Let us make man in our image. Well, who do you think this other is that God was talking to? So you should also know that the Spirit operates well beyond creation. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that worked through the hands of man to write the scriptures. And it's the Holy Spirit within us that guides us still today. See, the Holy Spirit is more than a wingman to God and Jesus. The fact that most images designed to represent the spirit of these white doves was just really a cheesy coincidence. I promise no pun was intended, but the spirit stands on its own. But in conjunction with God and the Father and this Jesus the Son, to fulfill God's collective promise by helping us if, with our side of that equation, if we do this, if we follow, then God will. He helps us with the if. Helps us make the choices, and if we pray, and if we talk, and if we rely, and if we learn. And this great commission, as we call it, that was made during this Last Supper. Jesus said, go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First, we see that there are, even in Jesus' own words, three distinct facets. But to fulfill this commission without having the strength of Jesus' leadership literally out front, what do they do now? What do they do? We don't have this charismatic leader that took us to people to teach. Acts 1.8 answers this question says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is reaching down to us. He wants a relationship with us. Jesus is providing the direction, the way to the Father. We learn that, the way. And the Spirit gives us the courage, the fuel, that inner drive to get us there. And there's only so much room inside of us. I tend to have a little more room inside than the doctor says I should. But there's only so much room inside of us. That is why we know that we must set aside some of these things that are bad or impure. Thank you for the laugh. As my previous message I've shared, we must set our minds and hearts on what is pure and holy and good and lovely. This, not that. And the easiest way to stop a bad thought or bad habit is to do what? To replace it with something good. Something good. Ephesians says, this is one example, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Exchange this for that. Make room in your life and in your lifestyle what for what is good. And here's another promise. If you make room for the Holy Spirit, then it will work within you and you will receive God's blessings through its presence in your soul. And we know what these blessings are. They're spelled out in Scripture. They're the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This sounds like a recipe for a pretty happy life, doesn't it? I'm not making this up. This is one of God's promises. If, or rather, when we choose Him, we can benefit from these things. And what would the world look like if it had more joy and peace and certainly patience or self-control. So we want the Holy Spirit in life. How do we choose this for ourselves? 
The moment you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and that is a promise from God. Ephesians 1, 13, 14. When you heard the message of truth, okay, when you've heard the scripture, when you've heard the story, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him. So again, step one, listen to the gospel. And then step two, believe. This is your faith being put in action. When you do this, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It continues, he is the down payment of your inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. It's a down payment of our inheritance. We know what the inheritance is. It's up there. It's in heaven. Does anybody else want their blessing now? This is something I struggle with. I love it now. Why wait? Exactly. God wants us to benefit from our relationship with him and the love that he has for us. So he says, here, put some of this Holy Spirit, put some of this inside you and find peace and joy and confidence and, and wisdom. And, and that will make this life better for you and those around you until the day that you're united in heaven. Then I'll give you the rest of it, the real blessing. So as I conclude this week's message, I want to encourage you to learn more about the role of the Holy Spirit in your faith and then to take action by giving a large role in your life. And if you are a believer, then you already have this peace of God within you and next week, we're going to talk about this a little further, particularly as it relates to prayer. But if you have not yet accepted Jesus or the Holy Spirit in your heart, or you still have some questions, then let me share these words from the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus replied, I am telling you the truth. And remember from our lesson before, this is the truth, not just a truth. It says, I am telling you the truth, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Where a person is born physically of human parent, is born spiritually of the Spirit. Furthermore, Jesus specifically said we should be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you have not done so or would like to talk about it a little more, let me hear from you. My email address, phone number on the back of the bulletin. But friends, as we continue to get closer to the good news of resurrection, I have some good news for you today. The same power that has raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. It's already there. It's already there. Let's pray. Father God, forgive us when we do not remember the forgotten God. We give praise to you. We look to your son, Jesus, and the lessons he taught us. But sometimes forget that there's a piece of you that remains within us, that we receive the day we accepted you. This is the piece that, that gives us that drive, that fuel to want to do better, to be closer to you that puts those words and thoughts in our minds and our hearts sometimes that, that we go, huh, that person was on my heart, I should be praying for them. Or I should be doing this instead of that. God, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for this down payment of an inheritance, as it says. We look forward to the day when we're united with you, those who have gone before us in this wonderful place that you have promised us. But you've given us tastes of that on earth the beauty of the outdoors, the ability to love and be loved. God, this, this ability to feel joy and peace and the other gifts of the Spirit. Help us to recognize those. Help us to make them a part of our life and help us to make them a part of our story. You know, we go through things and, and you use them for our, your good. 
and no one can relate to someone who's going through the struggle than someone who's gone through that struggle or is going through that struggle. And no one can tell our story about that better than we can ourselves. So God, it is the spirit within us that gives us that confidence, that wingman that, that you call in and say, I've got a tough one, let's go. God, let us draw on that that you place deep within our soul. And as always, I want to thank you for this building, the families, the men and women who physically built it, who have supported it for many years, who continue to do so today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here to learn your word, to worship you, to pray, to encourage and support each other. Father God, I always thank you for every person here, those who couldn't make it, those who are away traveling or ill. And God, I equally pray for the empty spots in the pews. We have room here. We have a home here. And God, may people find their way here that are seeking you. And may we turn them towards you. And whether they find another church to worship you in that, that feels more comfortable or whether they remain here, God, may the goal always be to seek you first. To turn their eyes upon Jesus. God, as we particularly approach this Easter season, <coughs> as we get closer in the weeks to these events that we've been studying for the last couple of weeks, may we be ever mindful of the choices we make that, that they are paid for the sacrifice of your son who gave his blameless life so that we may have a new life, an eternal life. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.